What's going on, boys and girls? We have a terrific episode of Two White Lights for you today. We had a first in Two White Lights history, an interview with a European lifter. We had Baniotis Dieridis nailed it on like the 17th try. Uh, better known as Pana, one of the best 66 kilo lifters in the world. Uh, Baniotis is from France and I wanted to interview this guy for a long time. Me and him talk a lot on social media. We get into a lot of great conversations, and he's my kind of lifter. Uh, I love the passion that he brings to the sport. I love the way he trains. I love the way him and his comrades in France train as well. And I got to get him on the show again because I think we just scratched the surface of what him and I can talk about. And we had a great discussion. Uh... He brought me into a little bit of the culture of French powerlifting that is growing. It is an extremely strong country in the sport of powerlifting. And he took me a little bit in dynamic with him and his team training. We talked about his training in particular. He is known as the Grind King, and we talked about that. We talked about some of the criticisms he faces and why he trains that certain way. Took it into the mindset. Of course, he had to mention anime just to piss me off, but took me into his mindset of training, and we had a really good back-and-forth conversation with that. Uh, talked about his coaching as well. Uh, he also coaches some very high-level lifters in France, so got to talking about, of course, the dynamic of being a high-level competitor and a high-level coach. We also had a good back-and-forth about the USAPL and IPF. Um, I know it's been discussed a lot on Two White Lights. We're probably going to start venturing away from that starting next week. We do have Josh War coming on the show very soon, maybe to talk a little bit more about that. But it was good to get an international lifter's perspective on this because they offer their own unique perspective, especially in different countries. And uh, Bana does a great job of you know discussing that with me. And again, I got to get him on the show again uh, sometimes because I think we could have went probably three hours on this interview. We kept it at 90 minutes. I think another 90 minutes is in store with uh, Pana. I don't know, coming soon, but definitely in our near future on Two White Lights. So terrific interview with Pana. Love the guy. And hopefully we can have it on again sometime. But before we get into this interview, got to talk to you guys about Leflar Bros. Ladies and gentlemen, go to leflarbros.com, go to their Instagram page, follow them on Instagram, and make sure you are picking up their merchandise. They have the best powerlifting merchandise on the market right now. They keep on coming with designs. There's designs coming soon. They drop designs pretty frequently too, which is great from a clothing company. And they help support powerlifting. They sponsor meets. They get involved in meets. They are active and they are dedicated to helping the powerlifter. And I wouldn't be on board with them if they didn't do that. And they always do it. So get yourself some merchandise. You guys know I love my comp tees at Leflar Bros, but also you're going to look good on the platform and in the gym or just out on the town because they have the designs that make you look good no matter where you are, in the gym or at a bar, at a pub or something. Go to LeflarBros.com, use promo code 2WL15 at checkout to save yourself some money. That is 2WL15, the best powerlifting discount code out there. Also, they got two white lights merchandise only on leftflybros.com. So if you want some two white lights merchandise, you got to go on Left Floor Bros. They just released the top rope tees. 
The design on that is fantastic. I absolutely love it. But they also have the original tee, the Fight Night tee, and the Dad Head as well. Use that same promo code for Two White Lights merchandise to WL15 on leftlarbros.com. Also, go to rivalus.net and get yourself some informed choice supplements from pre-workout Brantain Aminas' protein powders. Informed choice supplements is going to be big for all you USAPL IPF lifters because you don't want to break a drug test, you don't want to get popped, and sometimes it happens. It happens sometimes, so go and get yourself some Rivalus supplements. Use promo code ANGELO. 15 at checkout to save yourself some money. Also, go to lift.net and get yourself some stoic gear. I wear stoic gear in the gym and on the platform, and the only reason why is because it is the best. It is the best, plain and simple, cut and dry. I wouldn't wear it if I didn't think anything else. Use promo code ANGELO10 and get yourself a discount on knee sleeves, singlets, belts, wrist wraps, anything on stoic. I got you covered with that promo code Angelo10. Also, make sure you are following Notorious Lift on Instagram. No slip drip slippers is taking over powerlifting. More and more people are wearing the slippers, and I ha- I'm happy to see it because a lot more lifters are looking good now, and a lot more lifters are deadlifting insane amount of weights. And you know what? I'm going to credit the shoes for that. It's got to be the shoes. So go to Notorious Lift on Instagram. Sign up for their newsletter. Be on the lookout for those drops because you can't go to NotoriousLift.com and get whatever you want at all times. It doesn't work that way. you got to be on those drops. And they have so many colorways, so many different designs that you are going to find something that you love that matches your gym attire, your platform attire, whatever it may be, and you don't want to miss out on that. So remember, follow them on Instagram, sign up for the newsletter. Also, we are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So here's what I want you to do. Follow on Spotify. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating, and leave a review. Those are very important for Two White Lights, those reviews on Apple Podcasts. And, of course, you can listen on twowhitelights.com as well. So you have three platforms you can listen to. Two White Lights on, and without further ado, here it is, Two White Lights. And as promised, I got with me our very first European interview. I already forgot how to pronounce it, man. Do <laughs> <laughs> you want to try it? Or, uh, so it's Panayotis Tarinidis. Panayotis Tarinidis. But everyone knows him as Pana. He is Pana, and I am very happy to have him on the show. One of the best 66 kilo lifters in the world, and in a nation that is strong in powerlifting, passionate about powerlifting, and seems to be taking powerlifting to the next level in France. Yeah, man. To be honest with you, I don't know where it comes from, but like for the past three or two or three years, like things are getting crazy over here. Like you see new guys coming into the sport, like, and within like a year or so, maybe a little more, they get like super competitive. So just amazing to, to witness from, from the inner parts, you know? 
Yeah, I, we're taking notice in the states, definitely. But is it only in because you're in Paris? You're from Paris. Is it only in Paris, or is it expanding all throughout France? This kind of growth in powerlifting. I mean, um, you know, uh, at, at first, it's less and less the case, uh, sadly. But at first, we were like super, super connected between lifters. And so even though I live in Paris and some of the guys live in the south of France or the east or whatever, we were like having some meets, uh, not powerlifting meets, but we're just meeting each other to train. And so, you know, we, we kind of spread that uh, uh, love for the sport and especially high level uh, of the sport uh, pretty much in, in the whole of France. But I think in the gym where I train, in, that where I train at, um, we're probably like, four or five top lifters uh in the same gym in the same gym but you you kind of see that happen because uh, there aren't that many powerlifting gyms in france so when there's one like people are attracted to it and sometimes people like move around just to be closer to, to a gym and to train you know so mm-hmm. yeah i see that with the growth right now i've been i mean i i think if you go through just an algorithm or look at who i follow as far as Powerlifters, obviously, most of them be in America, but I would have to say Italy and France are definitely up yeah. there with the amount of powerlifters that I follow. Um, and you know, I just don't follow random people on Instagram. I try to broaden my sphere of who I like to learn from and who I'm impressed with and who I just like. There could be just some lifters that I just fucking like. Uh, I have a personality, and it, it seems like in the international sphere. It's probably Italy, only because there's some connections there. But France will probably be second, then Canada third. So it's definitely growing. Uh, the gym... All right, so is it a gym you guys train at? Because that was one thing I've always loved about about um, following you, is seeing that environment that you train in. Because it is one of the coolest things I've seen. It seems to be just teammates training together, helping each other, and it almost makes it feel as close to a team sport as powerlifting can get. So, yeah. what, what is, is it? I I don't know if it's a gym or someone's garage or a basement or a bunker. Like, what is that? A bunker. Uh, you know, we we actually had a guy that was training with us, and he moved to the U.S. Actually, uh, I think in New York, and uh, he trains in a big uh, powerlifting gym in New York. And uh, whenever you know there like some of the guys are watching, uh, let's say, you know, the leaf reports or whatever. They're like, oh, they're the guys from the cave. So now I know that some people in New York call us the guys from the cave because of where we train, you know. So that was, that was funny. So basically, it's, you know, it's a place that we, we could definitely live there uh, because there's water, there's like bathroom, there's everything. But it's just a place we rented and we just store and train there. So we store our equipment and we train there. So... It's like a house, but specifically designed for our, tra- our trains. Okay. And are those just all your clients, or is it just people within the area? Like, what's, no, what's the dynamic between friends, the friends, you know. Just friends. Just okay. to, yeah, we, we're just friends. And, you know, sometimes we, we open, like, the gym for people that we know, basically. Uh, and sometimes, you know, those guys, we, we, like, get along really well. And that's especially the case with... A little blondie girl that you may have spotted one once or twice in the video. So her name is Tiffany, and she was like at first training. She she trained here like a couple of random times, like 
you know, just for the sake of training. And then we kind of liked her and she liked us in turn. And now she's part of the team, you know. So that's, that's as you said, I think that's as close as uh, teams, uh, individual team sport as you can get, you know. Yeah. Um, and is this, is this due to COVID, you're training in that environment? Or is there like gyms that you guys all try to train at? Um, so we all had issues uh, when we were training in either commercial gyms or other powerlifting gyms. So in commercial gyms, it was basically, you know, you'll ruin the equipment, don't uh, choke on the bars, etc., etc. In the powerlifting gyms we trained at, we had other issues, like people were, like, trash talking us into our backs, like we were on, on steroids, etc., etc. So, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't expect that to be the second one. The first one, yeah, that, very common yeah. problem in America yeah. like you go to a commercial gym it's like are they gonna allow me to slam my weight on the floor yeah. and use cock you don't know the second one they this tracked you to see if you're on steroids yeah they were trash talking us and you know uh, I think it's obvious when you train some somewhere you have to be a smart dude and you have to be polite with everybody and I think that's obvious in my lifts. Whenever I do a lift, you know, I don't yell like a like a fucking maniac after every lift. I don't throw my belt around, etc. So we always try to, to stay civil. I think, uh, yeah, that, that wasn't that wasn't a funny thing actually. That was, I was like, boring, like, all right, I don't scream, but I do throw my belt across the gym if I have to. I was, you know, I was referring to a ruska throw, like you, you get. A yeah, fucking, mine's mine's targeted. Yeah. I do target yeah, yeah, my throws. Yeah, yeah, I try yeah. to get it on the bar. There's a skill to yeah. it. That's the little game I play after a lift. Yeah, Rouska tries to kill people with his belt. Yeah, that's exactly what I was referring to. He's know? like he's trying to decapitate <laughs> someone with his belt. Yeah. Just man, just imagine you, you, you just you just go into get into the gym and you see a fucking SPD belt like thrown around and uh, uh, yeah. you need like Ruska screaming you're like oh I'm out of here yeah you're, you're you're finally working up the courage to go to this intense powerlifting gym and try to pursue <laughs> the sport that you've looked at on social media for years and years and you're scared if they'll welcome you you're scared if you'll do good <laughs> and as soon as you open the door a fucking belt hits you in the face <laughs> from from one of the greatest powerlifters in the world right yeah. now yeah no, no doubt no doubt I, I would be scared even myself right now <laughs> You know, that's for sure. So, and we had like some really, really harsh talks with some guys there in the powerlifting gyms that we're training at. Uh, they were basically trying to, to like prevent us from training, you know, uh, oh trash talking us into our bags, etc. So did you, I mean, you could have like offered, it's like, do you guys not believe that we're in the IPF? You can collect our piss if you want. We can, we can, we can yeah. prove to you. But that's the craziest thing because say if you were here in Illinois, in Chicago, and we knew who you guys were in powerlifting, and we do for the most part, if you were like, okay, I'm looking for a gym to join, there will be gyms like trying to get you to join their gym because they know it's good for marketing. If you are seen at that gym, especially on Instagram, it's like these guys are always posting on Instagram. They're always lifting insane weights. They're courteous. They're respectful. You don't scream like a maniac. You don't throw your belt. That's always a plus for a gym owner when <laughs> yes, they don't have to deal with that nonsense. Like, certain levels would be like, no, come join the gym. It's like the, the exposure would be fantastic. That's so crazy that that happens to you. 
I, I don't know if it's because we're French from France, you know, like, uh, like in the example you gave, I'm from France and I would be in the US. And so I think I, I, we have that mindset in France where if another lifter from another country does something crazy, you like repost him instantly. And when it's a fellow French lifter, you don't repost him, you know, we kind of have that mindset in France. So that's, that's, uh, you I, know, that's very interesting. Yeah. I would. Like, I, like I mean, people, I would just assume it'll be like the opposite. Like, no, no. build. It's it's the opposite in the opposite way. <laughs> wow. wow. So, so what? You, so well, why do you think that I, is? I don't know, man. I think. I think it's easy to. Maybe because you're in the same sphere, because we're in France, you know, mm-hmm. and you know that the, the other guy that you're reposting is from another sphere, like let's say the US, for instance. And so when you repost him from the US, you're like. He, he won't come into my place because he's in the US and I'm in France. Whereas if you repost a French fellow lifter, you may like push him in front more and so you're behind, quote unquote. I, I don't know if that makes a lot yeah, of sense. Yeah, I mean, uh, it makes sense. It seems like a bit of a competitive, yeah, maybe yeah. a competitive but, 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 edge, but, but also a bit of an ego thing. Like yeah, yeah, a, competitive, a competitive edge that isn't good. It actually hurts yeah, competitiveness yeah. because... I'm not saying powerlifting is a sport of building others up. I'm not, I'm, I, I, I really – sometimes it gets overused when it's said, and I just get annoyed by mm-hmm. it when people constantly say that. But I think being competitive with your own countrymen is very useful for your own competitiveness and also your countries as well. Like if you are competitive within your own domestic powerlifting – you are going to be able to build so many great lifters that you make you competitive in the world stage. Like that should be the goal, you know, assuming you take international lifting seriously. We had that at the beginning at first. And like I told you at the very beginning, like pretty much everybody was really friendly and all of the lifters pretty much knew all of the other lifters and we have that mindset, but now it's less and less the case, Hmm. at least from my perspective and from things that I see and that I live, you know, so yeah, I think I think that's it. And so we had that, you know, in in the like I I, I did two powerlifting gyms prior to opening our own. Like it's not it's not an open gym, you know, it's more a private gym. Uh, and so you know, I, I just lost my shit on two or three occasions, and I was like, okay, that's that's it. Like I can't deal with that anymore. And so we rented a place, we bought the, we bought the equipment, and then now we have our stuff here. All right. Well, it seems like the training environment is fantastic over there. Um, yeah. And yeah, that's only going to be conducive of really great powerlifting um, from from all, all all the people who train there. Yeah, and you know, uh, like since the time I, we like I had my gym, quote unquote, because it's more of a gym that we had in common with some like five six friends. Um, my numbers went through the roof. Like you don't have any more limitation with the time you have to train. You don't have any more limitation on like, oh, what if I make some noise? Or what if I dump the bar a little hard? Or just, you know, when asking for a spot, you're not like, oh, the guy that I asked to spot me is actually wishing that I fail so that I can ridicule myself in front of him or get injured, you know? Oh, because we had we had some of those as well. Uh, a lot so, of jabroni, jabroni lifters. Ah, that's a jabroni yeah, move yeah. right there. So, we have some, sadly. We have some. And you know they're the they're the ones that make the most noise, sadly. And usually the cooler pe- individuals are more are, are less you know uh, mm-hmm. active. That so 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's uh, it's surprising to say the least, but I'm happy you find an outlet where you're actually able to train. And, you know, looking at your training, it's interesting – and I think at times it gets subject to perhaps some criticism from people with the uh, you got the proclaimed grind king label from <laughs> King of Lifts. But I, I think I've seen this before. But then when you we when I look at your numbers here, they show up on the platform. They really do. Like, you know, your last meet with the uh, 696 total going at the. Uh, Going at a well over uh, five forty dots, you're you're up there as far as the world's best. And on the platform, your lifts look very smooth. I watched your performance recently again, just so I get some ideas for the show, and it it looks fantastic on the platform. So, what's what's the approach with your training? Um, what's what, what goes on? And also, because I don't know this, I know. Coaches who coach other lifters don't always coach themselves. Actually, they rarely do. Do you have uh, your own coach? Yeah, so, you know, I, I, I thought this would be, like, some of the topic, and I'm actually glad that uh, you brought that up. And that's something that I would like to talk about. I, I won't go any crazy rant on that, but uh, I think that's, that's like, a really strong and good topic. Um, Man, really, I don't know where to start with that. So first, I'll answer your last question. So I, I do coach myself uh, from the beginning. Like, I've never had any coach, any coach uh, because when I started in France, I, I won't say there weren't any good coaches, but, like, I wasn't aware of any good coach at that time. Mm -hmm. And so, like, in France at the beginning, when I started out, like, in 2016, powerlifting, uh like, you use the hashtag of the French Federation, and there were, like, one post a week, maybe two posts a week. Uh, and the, the French Federation didn't have any Instagram either, so the sport was, like, really small. And so if you wanted to get information on how to coach yourself or whatever, you had to look at the U.S., basically. And so that's what I did. Like, I, uh, I at first I was, like, you know, crunching everything that I could get my hands on, uh, whether it be a book, whether it be a podcast, whether it be an internet website. And so I kind of built some knowledge from there um, and started coaching myself. And then I started coaching individuals that I was in the gym that, that I was training uh, for free, you know, just to, just to get used to that. And so, you know, then just things moved along and I started coaching more and more. And now, now it's what I do. Um, and so I do coach myself as well. Um, so for my view on training, um, basically I think there are two main things that are really important, uh, that are first the individual individualization part of the process and second, uh, which is like the adherence part of the training. Um, and so this definitely doesn't mean that you can pretty much do everything, uh, with everybody and, you know, just find something that works definitely not what it means it just means that you have those big principles of you know load management uh, specificity whatever you know name all of those big principles and so you have to adjust them uh, for one particular lifter and in my case since I'm coaching myself I have to adjust them for me as a lifter and um, you know I know you definitely don't have that mentality but I have that anime mentality uh, I, I, man, I have to bring that up. I have to bring that up. <laughs> so, but you know, it, 
It's real, man. It's real. <laughs> I've been, I've been you know what? At this point, I'm going to believe it because, you know, like 99% of my guests have told me it's a real thing. And like, all right, well, <laughs> you have faith in it. That means that it has to be real, right? Like, yeah, that's yeah. the thing. If you believe in something, that's the only thing that's keeping the reality alive of it. And yeah. all right. Yeah. But, and it seems to work for so, a lot of lifters. But yeah, continue. Glad, continue. You, glad, you let, glad you let that that one passed so um so yeah and you know in, in the shows like every hero has to go through some hard training in order to get better so when i started out i was like and you know that's that's just the way we see sport in general like name one sport where you see the athletes are like not working hard like mm -hmm. i don't think such a sport exists uh name all of the big sports uh, the, uh, like american football or soccer in france name uh, boxing, name, you know, whatever the sport, everybody just works really hard uh, to get better. So I had that mindset. And so when I, when I started out, I was like, I have to train hard, you know, in order to get better. And obviously I, I made some mistakes uh, when I started out. Uh, I made some huge mistakes that I really paid the price because uh, I had some injuries, like nothing really serious, but, you know, uh, like we all have sometimes. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I just learned from uh, from there, and now I have my current approach of training. And I just want to state for the record that, uh, like, I, I'm not uh, saying that everybody should train the way I train. It's just that I train the way I train, and like you said, I think the numbers are backing this up. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm not. I didn't do any meet yet where I'm like, I'm satisfied with what I've done. Uh, like. I've had some meets where I was like, I made some mistakes that cost me on my total or whatever. Uh, the last meet that you referred to was, is probably the meet where I'm, I was the closest to what I think I was capable of hitting. Um, and yeah, man, uh, like you said, I get some criticism for that sometimes uh, where people are like, oh, he maxes out every session. And, uh, and to that, I have to insert two or three things. First, um, if you use the RPE scale, uh, basically or RER, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, basically, it's really individual. And I don't mean that I'm the only one able to name my RPE. It's just that I can grind, like, really, really, really hard. I can do, like, 15 seconds reps. So when I do a six-second reps, uh, a six-second rep, for you, it's like, oh, it's an absolute 10. But for me, since mm -hmm. I can do 15 seconds rep, for me, it's definitely not 10. And it's maybe an eight and a half, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or a nine at most. So that's number one. And so if you take, like, quote-unquote, the normal ability to grind for the individuals, I'm above that, uh, like, way above that. So that's one thing. The other thing is, on Instagram, you show what you want to show. And um, we do, you know, you, you have to be entertain, entertaining in a way, uh, I think, for people to, like, watch your shit and to like and to follow and whatever. So... Obviously, I want to show you my like sets of nine on high bar beltless squats on and, and make a whole post about uh, a whole post about it. Like, oh, I did that today. So obviously, I will mainly show what people want to watch. So basically, my biggest lifts and if there's a grind, then I think it's even better for mm -hmm. the entertaining part. Yeah. So that's that's some of my response. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think. At times, people lose track. Where One, where they started. Because you mentioned that earlier as far as how people start. And I think a lot of people right now are so educated on the sport and so 
into the sport. And most of the opinions you hear from people who are like four to five years in powerlifting, where if they see someone just try a bunch of things and coach themselves, they automatically assume it's the wrong thing. But that was all of us at a point. Like that was all of us trying to figure it out and making mistakes. And you have to make mistakes as you go. Like I'm not, I'm I'm saying you have to do it because that's the only way you're gonna learn is if you fuck up in training or you do like that was a big thing for me. I did it for I coached myself for you know uh, four years of powerlifting up until uh, 2019 or so three years. I was self-coach for three years and I just did an online program so that's why I'm putting you know air quotes over coaching uh, people yeah 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 uh, pe- people who listen to my lights are aware of it but even then I, I like with just using that up into a prep I fucked up so bad once it was like saying it again I can't believe I thought this would work I maxed out four weeks before my competition and just deloaded for like three weeks. I like was doing, I I didn't go over, I seriously didn't go over 80% because I thought that would work. I had no idea why I thought that would work. No one told me it would work. I just assumed it. And I got to the competition. I hit my squat and bench, a little bit of grinders. And then my deadlift, I couldn't, pick up 705 off the floor it didn't even budge and that was because i was so detrained that and that was the worst competition it was embarrassing it was like the most embarrassing competition of my life i still won a texas power bar so that was nice but it was like the most embarrassing competition of my life and i learned from that like what exactly a peak is why you peak why you taper off so i think people lose sight of that especially uh when you're looking in on say a beginner or someone else starting off but also with your RPE talk and how it's individual, um, I think it actually could be the opposite sometimes. Like you get criticism. I don't know criticism. It might be more critiques because I don't think anyone will really get in your face and criticize you simply because the results are there. Now, if someone was not making like, – because I, I was about to say like there's a fine line because I've seen coaches before who an athlete tells them it's like, oh, I know my ability to grind. And the coach has to tell them, no, you don't. <laughs> you don't know your ability to grind because I could tell that you don't have any more reps in reserve. I could tell that your form is breaking down and where you're hitting your sticking points. And I've seen that before where the best thing a coach did with those lifters is take away their RPE privileges. Mm-hmm. It's like we are not allowed to do RPEs because you're just overshooting all of them. We got to do percentages, and you have to hit a set number every week because you're not going to make progress. And a lot of the times that I've seen it where it works, but in the opposite, where it's me, everyone's like, you don't hit an RPE over six or seven. And I definitely do. I know where my sticking points are on my lifts. Um, granted, my RPEs are still relatively low on my top singles, they're still not as easy as they seem. Like yesterday, people are like, oh my God, you could have done that for three reps. No, I couldn't. I could not, I couldn't get that yesterday for three reps. I just couldn't. Maybe two. I think I could actually got, I, I, I felt good for maybe a double, especially on deadlift. But 
I know where my sticking point is. And if I hit a sticking point, that's where my RPE lies. Like, everything looks fast and smooth, but I know that the RPE isn't, you know, uh, a, a 6. Because that's what I have to happen. <laughs> if, was, if 766 that I hit was an RP 6, I'm hitting it for 5. Yes. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not doing that. <laughs> but I'm hitting 766 for 5. I'm going to go up to Jamal Browner and being like, hey, you got some competition on your hands, man. I think I can deadlift as much as you. No, it's yeah. not. It's not. May, maybe a double. It'll be a grinder double. And, you know, I, I think you really are making a good point right now. It's, uh, you know, it's like the opposite is, is true as well. Uh, sometimes I see people on Instagram, you know, lifting and I'm like, okay, that was fast. But I think they maybe can squeeze another rep and not a third one, you know. And so just because a lift is slow doesn't mean it's RP 10 plus, And just because a lift is quote unquote fast doesn't mean it's RP 6. Obviously the bar speed has a lot to do with it. And, uh, but I mean bar speed in the way that you track with the device, not with your own eye, because I think uh, it's just like, only if you do like really slow, slow rep or really quick, quick one, like you will have to use a device at some point. Mm -hmm. But besides that, I think, just looking at the bar uh, without knowing the athlete pretty much, it, it, and, and you say, oh, you, it was RP5, you should have gone up. Or, oh, it was RP9.5, you should have put less weight on the bar. You're like, no, man. And, you know, a, another thing that I'd like to add, and you, you, you told me that was okay for me to do so, is that uh, can you name me one sport when people don't make, don't make mistakes during training? Or don't fuck mm -hmm. up something during training. Yeah. Can there, you, yeah I can't. There's like, no, I just there's can't. no sport. There's actually going beyond sports. There's every yeah, everything that I've done in my life was like me fucking up like 35 times before I got it. Um, yeah. I mean, this is, this is, I mean, all right. So in powerlifting, people don't realize I've been lifting weights since I was 16 years old. So, the reason why my reps look smooth is because I've been squatting. I've had a bar on my back since I was 16 and relatively heavy weights when I was 16. It wasn't, it was for sports, but like I've been doing it for a really long time. I know I'm not the oldest guy in the world, but that's what happens when you like, and you know, the first time was the first two years I was under a barbell. Okay. I sucked at it. Like I wasn't, I had, I had a little bit of a natural ability to squat, but I was putting the bar on my neck, like for, uh, I was putting the bar on my like spine neck area for like three months when I first started lifting. And then somebody told me to move it lower. I moved it lower and my squat shot up like, like I'm not even like 50 pounds. I was able to do it, you know, for, I was able to do uh, like two plates for reps and same thing with bench, same thing with deadlift. I've been doing it for such a long time that that's why it seems so easy for me is because that was a lot of trial and error. Same thing with all my professions. Like every prof even the ones I went to school, like the one I went for school for, the first week, the first two weeks that I had to do it on my own, I sucked. I sucked so bad. I made so many mistakes. And that's, that's how you actually get to learn. Yeah, I totally agree.
I totally agree. And, you know, like the thing where you're like, oh, you don't want to make any error. You don't want to fuck this up. For me, it's science. You're like, you don't want to fuck anything with science. But science is basically the art of failing and understanding why you failed and then trying something better and then retrying again and trying and trying and trying. So I think people are involved in, um, I would say, like from the more, for the most part, people are like soft. Not in the way that they don't want to train or etc., but they overvalue something and they like don't see the value in others. Pretty, mm-hmm. Basically, you know, just being there, working out, uh, making mistakes, trying to get better. And so, you know, sometimes um, I'm like, oh, I can do that. And then I realize I can't. So, and that's just another error. And then I know that I'll, I'll learn from that. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be a better athlete with that, you know. And so that's what I see. And for me, the, the, the part where, you know, a lot of, oftentimes people compare powerlifting to Olympic weight, weightlifting. Uh, since it's you know two movements in a comp with uh, three, uh, basically it's like com- people compare that. Mm-hmm. And when you see a, a training with an Olympic weightlifter, like how many times a, a training session or week does he fail? Like a lot. Mm-hmm. And you know they're not like here in the comments. Oh no, why, why does he fail so much? Oh he he'll break his shit up or his central nervous system or whatever. They're like oh the guy is working, he's trying to get better. So. I'm not saying you should fail uh, at all of your training sessions and you should grind everything, but I'm saying more, it's more nuanced than, than what people think, I think. Yeah. Well, I think there's always a struggle to find the perfect balance between those two things. Yeah. I think that's where you want to be in powerlifting is because I had to get a coach to actually get me more aggressive okay. because I was rather conservative my entire powerlifting career as far as the numbers I would hit, as far as my percentages. Never did RPE, and if I did RPE, I would probably live at seven because I was always afraid to miss lifts. Joe Stanick, my coach, got me to be a little bit more aggressive. He's a little bit more aggressive in nature as far as calling attempts or calling my numbers. Um, he's for certain things like like a week ago I told him, like, you know what, I think I could possibly hit 347. I might deadlift next week. I'm like, waves the uh, 337 move. I think a 10 kilo jump is good. And he's like, all right, let's go. Like that's that's like let's do it. Let's 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 see if we can make a move. And if I didn't ask him, I would probably just take a two and a half kilo jump. Yeah. Like if I was coaching myself, I'll take a two and a half kilo jump. And I think other lifters are either and also are too aggressive. Where yeah. they live at the nine and a half, ten range, and they need possibly a coach or just themselves to bring them down. So I think finding that balance is a struggle that I think every powerlifter is trying to find. Like no matter who you are, I think it's a struggle that everyone's trying to to find. Yeah, I agree. But you know, I think there's also something is that um, <clears throat> what I was referring to as the individualization part of the training process. Um, <clears throat> I think comes like in play right now uh, with what we're discussing. So some individuals actually don't need to go above RP7 in order to get better. They actually don't. And they actually do need to go like on those lower RPEs. And on the contrary, I think that some other lifters actually do need to go above. And maybe what you needed at some point can definitely evolve. And in six months or a year from now, you actually do need something else, which is why I think... For me, the, the 
not I won't say the only valid program in powerlifting, but the best program in powerlifting are the ones individualized where you have a really strong and good coach uh, athlete relationship when you guys discuss a lot because things can involve can evolve a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let me ask you this: Have you ever thought about possibly getting a coach? Because um, I do uh, know yeah. a lot of high level coaches do coach themselves for a while, but then they're just a little bit more responsive to getting themselves a coach just because it's easier for them. It's easier for their training to have someone else program them. So how about, how about in your case? I actually really thought about it and I really am thinking about it right now, but uh, I think first I'm not really alone, like all alone because I'm uh, oh, sorry. I'm training with my girlfriend all the time. And so, and we have that relationship where she can, she tells me everything she wants, you know, mm-hmm. like we don't have any barrier between us. So when, when I do need another view, I, I probably ask her, you know, um, and even though she won't give me the same response, like as an elite coach would pro- give, that's really obvious. Uh, this gives me a lot of, uh, room to reflect on, upon and to think differently. You know, I always try to think uh, with a lot of balance. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think that's the main reason why I don't have a coach for now. And the other one being I'm successful right now as a lifter. Mm-hmm. So um, that's some, that's something else. You know, you, you know what you lose, but you don't know what you, what you will get. Yeah. So I'm also with that. Uh, but yeah, I, I think... I'm definitely not close to that option. Uh, and in, if in the coming weeks or months I, I, I see myself like cornered into my training, I'll definitely get a coach. That's for sure. Nice. Nice. Um, yeah, I think this experience, it's just fun. It was a fun experience getting a coach. It was like such a great eye-opening thing. But at the same time, I think our journeys are a little different because you're a world-class lifter. And when I got a coach, I was not going to self-deprecate and say I sucked but I was not a world-class lifter. I was on the, I was just on the outside, like, looking to break into the top 10. So I think our experiences would be a little different, where when I got a coach, it opened up so many different avenues in powerlifting that I was totally ignorant of. Um, so I, I could understand maybe the uh, the hesitancy or the, this, at this point, you don't really need it um, currently. But how about your coaching, then? Like it always, I always get interested when someone is a world-class lifter and also a coach who coaches world-class lifters, like the balancing act between the two must be difficult. Um, it is. And in a way, uh, since I'm training with like, for instance, uh, Leah, uh, you know, uh, whenever she's hitting a squat or a bench or a deadlift, I'm always looking at it because uh, from a friend perspective, because we're obviously friends outside of powerlifting, but also from me being her coach. So that stuff uh, at times, that's really tough at times um, because you have to balance everything. You have to balance like your your part where you're like, I'm trying to analyze uh, what's going on with her and her lifting. And also you still have to be focused into your own training session and be focused in yourself. But, you know, besides that, I think um, being an athlete really helps me a lot uh, to coach other athletes. Uh, and being a world-class athlete 
to be honest, I don't think it changes a whole lot uh, from my perspective mm -hmm. uh, because I think the qualities that are required to be a good coach or a successful one aren't the same as being a strong or world-class athlete. Yeah. Some, some of them are linked, but I don't think they're the same, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I, sometimes it's hard, uh, especially, for instance, when something is not going in the right way, uh, when you're coaching somebody and, you know, you don't have the results that you guys want, and that's when it's hard, and that's when it's hard to focus on myself. But otherwise, I think, yeah, that's, that's cool to do. Yeah, I think if you do it correctly, you can easily do it. You know, and especially if you take it with the right approach, because I, I think when I first started powerlifting, I was almost the uh, the opposite of what people think you should get in a coach. I was always in the mindset of I would like my coach to be a coach first, not a lifter first, because mm -hmm. I want them to prioritize me as opposed to their own lifting. And I think a lot of lifters, especially ones in my age, uh, when the time I got coaching and younger, they are very intrigued by the coach who has a big total. Mm. Like, that's the reason why I get DMs to coach people is because mm. I yeah, have I agree. good lifts and I'm like, dude, you do not want coaching from me. <laughs> like, I, if, if you don't see in my bio, if you don't see me market it ever, there's a good inclination that I have no interest in coaching anyone. And I don't. Like, I have zero interest in coaching people, and I don't even I, – I, I, and mainly because I don't think it will be a benefit to them. Because I don't think I'll be – like, I don't think I'll be very good at it. But if I didn't have my total, no one would ask. No one would say anything. Yeah. And I was the opposite where I'm like, I want my coach to be a science-based person that could teach me a lot of those things. That will get me, uh, or they'll educate me on certain things. But I think a lot of people fall into the trap of going to one extreme to the other. Of you mm. never want to get this coach because he doesn't even lift or he doesn't have a great total. And then the other extreme is this guy knows nothing about the sport that he's coached. He's only good at it. Mm. Like, I think the guy I use so much for this example is uh, Noriega. Noriega is such a hard worker in powerlifting that I would fully trust him to do any sort of programming. And I know for a fact that he can go on the platform and still do it himself. Like he's the guy that I think is the perfect example of balancing the two, but also you have to, you have to analyze the person. So you have to analyze Yupana and him, like, okay, what character traits do they have in order for them to balance that? They're both extremely passionate about powerlifting. They're always trying to constantly learn. They're never satisfied with what they have. They're constantly trying to fix them upon the mistakes they've had. Uh, Noriega will be the first one to admit that he made uh, mistakes in his training uh, when he was young and tried to fix those. That's describing a perfect competitor slash coach. And it's like you can definitely have both of those things when you're looking for a coach, a high-level competitor and a high-level coach. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, like you said, we have that aura effect. I don't know if that's the word in English, but in French, so it's it's called, uh, it's like a psychological uh, bias where you assume that people have qualities 
based on either the way they look or their job or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so you assume that because one is a talented uh, lifter, that he will be a talented coach. Whereas, like you mentioned it, it's like two different things. Again, I think you, you have to have certain qualities uh, in order to achieve both. So I think you have to be passionate to be a good athlete, like world-class, we're meaning really top, top athletes. You have to be passionate. Uh, I think you can still be decent and strong without being that passionate, but to get to that next level, you have to. And I think you have to be passionate to be a good coach as well. You have to have some degree of self-reflection also, and a, a lot of self-belief, I think. Uh, and the two have to be balanced. Um, so yeah, I, I would definitely agree with you on that. Uh, we, we, we have that tendency to, to look at someone and just because a guy has glasses and isn't that jacked, you will be like, oh man, I don't want that guy to coach me. And just because another one is like super jacked and is deadlifting like a thousand pounds, you're like, oh, I want that guy to coach me. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you don't know what you're getting. So I, I would definitely stand behind what you just said. Uh, I think the best way is to actually look at the individual um, not the lifter, not only the coach, but the individual. Because also with coaching testimonials, uh, sometimes numbers aren't everything, you know. Uh, I'm a huge fan of basketball and you see a, a player like Russell Westbrook and the guy has stats like never seen, but he's not winning, you know. And so sometimes you have to look at the individual. You have to look at, like you said, the traits of the individual. What qualities does he have? And then you look at other aspects like his resume what studies, like what are his um, coaching uh, results, what, is, what are his lifting results, and then from there you can have an idea. But I think the best thing is always to try. You know, you, you never know if it, will, if it will work with a coach unless you try with him, and if it works, then that's perfect. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't, then you guys just part ways, you know, that's the way I see it. Yeah, I think a lot of people think they have way more much way too much on the line to do that and it's funny because they don't yeah like most like 99.9 percent .9 of powerlifting does not have a whole lot on the line where they're risking it all i think me and candido talked about that of of a certain position to be in like for me for example um he was talking about russ right and he's number one so how much does Russ need to change his training in order for him to still be one one uh, number one? Not a lot. For me, where I was like eighth at the time, I could change a lot because, you know, like the only way here is up. Like if I drop to 12, it's like, who gives a shit? Like I was eight. Like there's no real different. But, you know, then you start toying with low bar. You start toying with different stances and deadlift to see what you can get, and the risk is actually worth the reward, where certain people, the risk isn't worth the reward because their reward is number one. But if you're not one of those people I just mentioned, you should probably take some chances in powerlifting because I, uh, I, I don't think we're referring to just like the top 1% right now. We're talking about like the 99% that actually can take a risk and lose nothing in the process. They, 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 it's either a bad experience, they move on, or it's a good experience and they continue to do it. Yeah. And it, I, I'm like hundred uh, percent behind you with that, uh, with that one as well, because, and I think that's, that's the way that I was referring to earlier as people in powerlifting are soft mm -hmm. because 
even let's take the example that you just took, even take Russell. He changes something, doesn't work out. And you know when something isn't working out, you know what I mean? So like you give it four or six weeks and then if you're not getting any better, if you actually are regressing, then you know it's not working. If you aren't getting better, but you know that you'll get there eventually, then, you know, you just stick with it. But besides that, and, you know, that's it. You you lost like four weeks and or six weeks. And if you are that strong guy or that like over-the-top powerlifter, then within the same amount of time, it will be back. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so even in my own uh, situation right now, I know how to coach myself. So let's say I try to work with a coach and I give it like six or eight weeks. Obviously not before any major competition, that's for sure. You know, not before Worlds or whatever, but in a time where I have some time uh, ahead of me, it doesn't work out. Then I'm like, okay, then I'll just nicely and gently tell that individual that it doesn't isn't it isn't working for me. I'll go back to what I was doing, and then within four weeks I will be back, not maybe at hundred percent, but at ninety seven, and that will be enough, you know. And then I'll be back to progressing again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So just just try something, you know. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, that's that's definitely making the attempt. There is probably going to be beneficial for any powerlifter, but yeah. So actually, I want to ask you this: um, Have you been keeping up to date with the whole uh, IPF USAPL uh, relationship there? Because I know you're uh, pretty active on just powerlifting in general. Uh, so have you been uh, keeping up to date with that? Uh, the last part I was missing was actually watching the podcast that you did with uh, Larry, Larry, like the president of the USAPL. Yeah. Uh, but since it was soccer game tonight, uh, I didn't get the chance to listen to that. So I would like, I'll, I'll do it a uh, little later to be up to par. But yeah, I, I've been following it, yeah. Okay. So what are your uh, what are your thoughts? And by the way, definitely support your team before you listen <laughs> to Two White Lights Podcast. I, in other cases, I'll tell you not to do that. But yeah, when it okay. comes to supporting your team, yes, That's do good. it. If, okay. if, if Juve was playing when a podcast dropped... I'm not, even though they're out of the fucking Champions League because they're trash right now, but and they're even trash in Serie A, but I will definitely do that instead. But uh, yeah, what, 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 so what are your thoughts on it? It's like cause I realized something because I'm obviously a USAPL lifter. I haven't talked to a whole lot of international lifters, and if I have talked to international lifters, um, it's been very brief. One and two. It's in countries that aren't yours, where I think that whatever nation you belong to, you're going to have your own unique perspective on it. Yeah. Well, first, my take is like definitely because I'm outside of that uh, quote unquote drama. So, um, but I, I want, I don't want to be like rude to anybody, but I'll just say things the way I see them. Um, you know, we were mentioning soccer uh, like two minutes ago. And I'll just give a quick example. I think sometimes you have to agree and to understand that when you have the international federation that's trying to give like lines, guidelines, um, even though you are the most competitive uh, federation, national federation, which the US is with powerlifting. I'll take the example with France because we, I think we can both agree that France right now has the best football team on the planet. A soccer team on the planet so you can say can football on here it's fine i i i, <laughs> I, I will oh yeah you could definitely say football <laughs> on here um if it was another if it was another podcast no but i respect the beautiful game 
So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. In spite of the like number of American football stuff I have behind me, um, I have my I actually have an Italian because you guys can't see right now. I'm saying like I have my sports memorabilia behind me. Uh, I have my 2006 Italian uh, oh, soccer kit with no, all the please. with all the, uh, the the players autographs. Don't bring 2006. Why? What happened? What happened in 2006? Can you want to just talk about that instead? I think I think we'll just leave it there. Have a nice day. Yeah. I don't 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 headbutt me through your screen. Don't worry, don't worry. I'll stay. I'll stay behind the computer. Yeah, but I could take that with with France being like the best country in terms of soccer. Uh, and so if like the FIFA, which is the international federation for people that don't follow soccer, uh, wants to like put some new rules that will definitely change the way we play soccer in France. What if France says, oh, you know what, because I have the most talented pool of lifters, of, of um, soccer players and in our case lifters, I won't follow that because I have that power and I have that means of pressure to, to do that. I, I kind of see that in this way. And obviously, I'm not saying what all of what the IPF wants to, to change as rules is like valid and should be changed. But I mean, I think it's easy to, to like counterpart that and be like, oh, uh, like, fuck you guys. We'll do that on our own right now. Uh, whereas the FIFA is trying to get rules that will organize the sport internationally, which is what the IPF is trying to do. And I'm, I'm not saying it's doing it perfectly. And I'm not saying they don't do any mistakes, but I'm saying that's what they actually are trying to do. So obviously things will change for national federations. Um, but is parting ways the answer? I don't know. Or is it, is it more a means to pressure the IPF to like second guess what they're trying to change? And then, okay, we can talk. But mm -hmm. if, if something goes, up, goes wrong, you're like, okay, I don't want to see you again. I think we would have way more divorces than what we actually, than what we currently have. When it does, doesn't go right with your girlfriend or your wife or your boyfriend or your husband, whatever, you try to think of, to figure things out. Not like, okay, go away. Mm -hmm. And I think that right now, it's, it's that go away mentality that I'm seeing from the USAPL. And again, I'm not discussing the, the facts right now or the changes that want to be made. I'm more discussing the way it's handled uh, on this part, you know. Yeah. Well, when you listen to the two white lights episode, let me know. One, let me know what you think because I'm obviously getting a lot of perspective from the USAPL, which makes sense because I think it's our dilemma that we're taking on our own. But like, if I could, like, uh, just because it, it's good to have these conversations with international lifters, I've seen that a lot where people are like, "Well, the divorce, you know, why haven't they tried to work things out?" I think occasionally people forget that it has been an issue for such a long time, the USAPL and IPF, especially with drug testing and really just the values. Like, the values are totally different. Um, I could ask you, like, what the values are for French powerlifting, but American powerlifting, the value, the goal, the objective was never the Olympics. It was just to have a lot of people compete in powerlifting within the United States, something to transfer over to uh, to sports training, and also provide a drug-free platform. Like that was that's the value and objective for the United States. For the IPF, it's follow the guidelines for the IOC so they can get into the Olympics. 
So no. it's like you mentioned a divorce, right? If, in this case, it's like two people who would never get married. The USAPL and IPF. Like two people who would never get married seemingly, but then they got married. And they have, and then they have marital problems because even with those two things that are said, you know, the relationship doesn't exactly work out. But how about in France though? What would be like, I, I mean, you're, you're not an executive board member on France's powerlifting federation or anything, but you are a prominent lifter. So what's kind of the objective for you guys? Well, I think like you just mentioned it and actually I did a YouTube video like yesterday or the day prior, because we had like a mini drama in France also <laughs> with that. Powerlifting, yeah, yeah. powerlifting is so much drama. Yeah. More drama, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. More, 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 more drama than the Super League. I, I totally agree. <laughs> sometimes it's funny and it's edgy and sometimes it's like, okay, another one. So, <laughs> and we actually had that. So, and I kind of mentioned the situation in the US and uh, one of my arguments in the video I made uh, was this one. Um, so in France, uh, right now, I have been a member of Team France. I have a status that is uh, recognized by the government. And so I'm uh, like affiliated to the uh, Ministry of Sports in France. Mm -hmm. And so and so like right now in France, we have like, um, it's lockdown. We have lockdown right now. So you can't move outside of your house, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I can because I have that status ah. because I have that governmental like affiliation. So being a member of Team Friends actually gives you some benefits, and those benefits actually come from the relationship between the federation and the government, the French government. So <clears throat> I think I'm not sure because, like you just mentioned, it I'm not part of the executive or whatever in. Uh, the national um, federation, but I think the goal is to get to the Olympics or to be as close to the guidelines as possible in order to get there. Yeah. So in this regard, I think yeah, obviously things are way different, and I I don't want to say any dumb thing, but I think what I will say is probably valid. But I think like maybe ninety percent of the people in the executive IPF uh, member member uh, community are from European countries. So I think a lot of them have that mentality of let's stick as close as we can um, to the IOC guidelines and so we can maybe make it to the Olympics. So that could explain why a lot of, like you said, uh, they should have never been married in the first place because what the US is trying to reach is not what the IPF or what or the European country is trying to reach because and I know I've talked with uh, fellow uh, European lifters uh, especially a lifter from uh, one of the eastern uh, countries which I can remember right now but and she had like even a better status than I had she was like pretty much actually getting paid to train mm -hmm. lifting. so I think that changes everything when you're in a country where you have governmental uh, agreements between the national federation and the governments and countries where you don't have that agreement and it's more like uh i don't want to say capitalism but more around those values yeah. basically pretty much it's different yeah it's different that's i i think that's why i think the discourse should be opened uh for that because i, th I i've been getting into a lot of debates with international lifters i'm like you're just 
at this point, we're just arguing our different values because it yeah. may, there's more of an incentive for you guys to stay in the IPF because we don't have any sort of government funding for, I mean, Olympic athletes even. It's all amateur status for Olympic, not just powerlifting. Um, it's amateur status for most Olympic uh, sports. They get through on sponsorships, but even that, I've been hearing, there's always these testimonials from Olympic athletes in America that, you know, there wasn't a whole lot, there isn't a whole lot of sponsorship money for a certain event. Like uh, Adidas isn't sponsoring like kayaking. You know what I mean? Or like these like these things. So they have to go through a lot of their own funding, a lot of fundraising to get themselves to the Olympics. And I think powerlifting might fall into that same sphere where they would have to do they they want to be get get paid as much, uh, even through those sponsorships. But it's just it's a completely different value set. Like when I talk to them, like we wouldn't we probably would be okay with the IPF if we had that backing on our powerlifting, but we don't, we see the amount that we actually pay the IPF, and from Larry Malley, you're going to listen to it, it was up near six figures, as far as what the USAPL pays the IPF, it's like, if you take that money out and distribute it to the lifters, then, you know, we actually get that payment, or we might actually be able to get paid in an elite level, and within saying in the IPF, that might not really ever happen. Yeah. Uh, you know, in France, for instance, um, <clears throat> you actually get more fundings from the government if your sport is recognized by like some committee that says, OK, you're close to the IOC guidelines. So <clears throat> in France, it's, pre it's pretty much the name of the game. Like the more government recognition that you get, the more money will be involved. And so basically the French Federation gets money to send lifters because of like the results on the international events. So the better results, the more money, and the more uh, like guidelines you follow, then the more money even. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think, like you said, but to be honest with you, I don't know, um, I don't know if uh, re trying to reach the Olympic stage or trying to be as close to it as possible and wanting uh, drug-free sports that will promote uh, like people getting into it. I don't know if that's that opposite. You know what I mean? Like, why can't you do both uh, in a way? Well, that was, that's what, that's what it was. That's why the USAPL stuck with the IPF because we were able to do our drug testing and keep a drug free platform on the local level and still be compliant with WADA once we did international competitions or out of meat testing. It was. We had both. And then now it seems like there will be some undisclosed fines if we don't follow that. And at, at that point, it's like, well, that's if we it, what they value more over here is the amount of people under a barbell. There's 22,000 lifters within the USAPL, right? They value those 22,000 people more than the potential 400 who compete internationally. Yeah. They just do, and I actually agree with that. I think that's admirable because that's the goal of powerlifting over here is just to get more people into the sport. Like, we wouldn't be having this conversation if it was like it was a year ago. Like, it'd be like, all right, schedule is the same. Arnold, Nationals, Worlds, 
you know, Sheffield is thrown on there now. Um, the same thing. Now that things have changed, that's where that's where you get dissent from the American side of things. Uh, you know, I, I totally get it. But to that, I have a hot topic, uh, and maybe that could be a rant. So I don't want to make any enemies. So, but I have to say what I think. Um, so in France right now, uh, I think that's actually also internationally applicable. But I'll, I'll say what I uh, what I'm leaving actually. Uh, so there's a list uh, which is like the out of me testing list. Oh, I don't know if you were aware of that. We have that list where uh, basically you, you have like an, a calendar with like all of the days and all of the dates and all of the hours. And I am on that list. So basically every three months I have to update that list and to say, okay, this day I'll be there from there to this time to this time, et cetera, et cetera. So last week, uh, last Monday, I had an out of mid testing, like random, the guy knocks at my door and it's like a drug test. So, um, well, you, you, you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And to be honest with you, I think for me, that's actually the best and the better uh, solution to having a clean sport because having a lot of meat testing is great. But since you know the date of the meat, you know the date of the test. And so you can play along, you know, with whatever you're taking and have a, a, a test clean and then be on something, you were on something and then once that test is out, you know you'll get on something else later. Mm -hmm. So for me, I don't see. I don't think that having less meat tests will be it is that deterring to people. You know what I mean? Because what is really deterring to people for me is the idea that pretty much any day you can be tested, like in your house, and you can't avoid the test. Yeah. Well. So. It doesn't have that much value for me, you know. Like I think it's cool, and the midday, the midday tests are cool, and they actually do cut people, so they work. But it's not for me the best solution to having a clean sport. Yeah, and I think that's echoed. But I think also what gets forgotten is that it was just both. We had both going. We had our own independent okay. for local meets and. The uh, anyone who competed internationally would get tested. I think it had to be at least three times a year. And if they did nationals and uh, Arnold and Worlds, it'll probably be those extra three times. So it might be six times a year that those top level lifters, like what yourself is getting, is around six times a year they will get tested. And like it's not suggesting that the USAPL gets rid of out of meat testing because I would be against that. I would be against you know the internet and uh, the IPF will never even allow that. So, but I, I'm not suggesting the top level lifters never get out of meat tested. I'm saying I want both. I want to have yeah. both of those things because in I think comparing like all the meats and the local meats and the national meats is as different from country to country because. I think I don't know how many meets France puts on a year. How how many would you say they put on a year? The the system is completely different from the US. Yeah. So uh, how about Europe then? Would you know like off the top of your head or like an estimate? Like from what? From how, from how many meet, how many meets happen like a year? Like at the European level you mean, yeah. you mean? like internationally? Yeah, I mean yeah, within the IPF umbrella, how many like one, 
One or maybe two sometimes. Well, no, hold up, but like from all the different federations that are in the IPF umbrella, how many meets would you say happen? So, like, I mean, that's why I'm asking for France. Like, the France Federation, how many meets do you guys put on yearly? Uh, it's really, I don't know, it's really hard to say. I think we have, like, uh, let's say four meets a year, and depending on the region of France you live in. So, like, in the whole of France, it's maybe 20, 30-something. Okay, so for that, that's like I'm trying to think. There's around four meets happening a weekend in the United States. Yeah. So when you have that many lifters, so many people can cheat the system. And if they're not getting tested at local meets, you're going to get a ton of dumbasses that start juicing up because they know they're not going to test and they will just break some records. Not do nationals because that's when they know they'll get a water test, um, and just I think delegitimize the the goal of the USAPL, which is to have a drug free platform. Because I think I think if I was in a like that's where I would have to put myself in different positions. If I was in a country that only put on say twenty to thirty meets a year, I wouldn't value local meat testing as much. But I'm in a, like Texas alone. The, the, the state of Texas does 20 to 30 meets, if that. They probably do more than that, a year. And then when you take the entire United States, that's like our month. That's the, the like yearly amounts of meets that happen within a European country happens monthly in America. So it's just yeah. so many competitions, so many different members, so many different referees, and so many different environments that... Like that's where the local, that's where the drug testing at the local level is really valued for us because that's that's why people get into it because they want to compete against other people who are drug tested. Uh, the the, the episode um, does explain that uh, the one that you're uh, planning on listening to, but that's where I think there's a little bit of a disconnect because I totally agree. I love legitimate drug testing too. I think WADA would be great for our top level lifters, our elite level lifters, of course. Like. I understand the problems with getting tested at a certain date, but they get tested at those local meets, which they really don't do. Like a guy like Taylor Atwood and Russ Orhe, they're not doing a whole lot of local meets. They really don't even have time. They're so good. Like they have three meets a year, usually nationals, usually worlds, and then probably in the middle, like the Arnold. So those are a lot of testing too. So those guys are always getting, you know, tested out of meat and stuff. But for a guy like me, actually, if it was underwater testing, I would never have been tested to this point. Yeah. I would because I'm not an international lifter. I'm not good enough yet. And I've been tested, though, four times. Actually, six times if you count all the drug tests I've taken without the USAPL um, in the other federation that I've done. So I've been tested around six times in my career. What if a guy like – so what Like what legitimate – if a guy like me was putting up the numbers, had the deadlift record, but was yeah. never tested – Right? Like, yeah. That'll be weird. Which is a possibility. You know, I, I agree with you on that, but I, I think I have two caveats. So the first one being, I think in the U.S., you, you correct me if I'm wrong, obviously you, you probably know that way better than I, than I do, but I think in the U.S. you actually have federations where you don't have any tests. It's like open bar, take whatever you want, and then come compete. Yeah. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. So, and, and to be honest with you, I think uh, obviously, 
the lifters from the, from the USAPL get a ton of recognition, uh, like social media, whatever. But I think those other athletes actually do as well. Yeah. Um, so I think that the situation is a little different in the US because the athletes that actually, quote unquote, want to cheat can actually do that when it's where it's legal, basically. So it's not like you have, like in France, for instance, if you want to do something like we can have recognition, you're forced to do it in the National French Federation, which is drug tested. And so if you want to produce yourself, then you'll have to cheat and so possibly get caught. Uh, and in the US, you have that option to be like, I, I want to see how far I can go with pretty much every help I can get. So basically substances. And then I take those substances and I go untested and I do whatever I want untested. So that would be the first one. You have that choice. So it's not that you have to cheat. And so even if you have less tests, then like, I think the people who want to cheat will cheat. They will try to cheat at least, you know. Yeah. But the people who want to just take drugs and do whatever they want will go untested either way. And so the second one is, um, I think again, the, the meat day tests don't have a lot of value for me, to be honest with you. I think they're cool, but they, I don't value them really a whole lot. But what I do value is something else. Basically, you take all of the results from the past meet and you take a pool of 10 or 20 random people and then you go test them unexpected. Yeah. And so you do less tests. And so even if the tests are more expensive, you do less of them, but the way you do them, you do them is actually way more deterring because you don't know when it's going to happen. And so if you don't know when it's going to, when it's going to happen, then you can cheat the test like, yeah, Easily, I won't say cheating a test is easy, but when you when you know the date, you can do something out of yeah. it. You know what I mean. So even if it's more expensive, you have to do less tests, but you can still have like a strong deterring strategy that will be like anti-doping at its best. Because again, I really don't hold a lot of value into the like midday's tests. I think when you want to cheat and when you know how to do it and when you're well prepared and well-informed, you can cheat the test knowing it's date. Yeah, I, I mean, I understand where the skepticism is there from European lifters, but just within the United States, it doesn't even make sense to do that, like to actually try to cheat the system. And if you tried to, and you get to a stage of, say, a Taylor Atwood or Russ Orhi, you would eventually have to get out of me tested. Yeah. So the the point of it is just like you're really doing it for a local meet or a state record. You're not even doing it for a national record because you will get tested at a certain time out of meet if you decide to do an NAPF meet or an IPF meet. You will get out of meet tested. Um, and you will probably get tested around three times a year out of meet and then the on-day testing so I understand why certain European lifters, it doesn't make sense to them because the incentive makes more sense for you guys because you actually get government funding for being a good lifter, where we really don't. But it makes sense for a USAPL lifter because most of the USAPL lifters are not within the realm of being 
the best in America or on representing their country on an international stage. There's not. Like, there's only one national champion for each weight class. Most people in the USAPL want to compete locally and do nationals because nationals is like our thing. Like, nationals is awesome. They have so many different competitors compete at it. It's a lot of fun. You get to hang out with your friends. It looks like a rock concert. It's great. And that's where most of the competitors lie. So the local meet testing is the only thing that they're holding on to to know that they're on a fair platform. Um, and the fact, like, if you jeopardize that, you will have people to come in and try to cheat the system and know they will never, ever, ever get caught. And believe it or not, there's people who think they're wise and smart enough to cheat the system in the USAPL and still get tested on it in, uh, in a local meet. Because they just look like they're on steroids. Like, they, they test people yeah. just based on... Yeah, the look or... The, 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 the look of them or their performance. But if someone, like uh, Steve Denovi, my, my co-host, he tested someone because they looked like he was on steroids. He had some just... And he was. He blew away the, the TE test uh, on it. So that's where we, like... I understand where international lifters don't value it as much, but that's the thing that keeps people in the USAPL is the fact that they know that if someone decides to try to cheat, they will eventually get caught in the United States. It's hard to really cheat the system for that long um, without paying the piper at a point. You know, I'm definitely not discussing the fact that, like, local meat testing is not useful uh, because, like, f- first, a local meet for somebody that's just either just passionate for the sport and not really good at it can be its nationals, can be his or her nationals, and other just somebody that just starts the sport, you know, that's something big for them. So I- I'm not saying, I'm not evaluating, like, the, 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 that level of competition, but I'm saying that even if you run less tests, at those but the tests that you run are like more deterring which is like what an out of me test is i think it's better you know what i mean so you, you, like i'll just give you a, a dumb example but you, you go into a meet okay there's a local meet um uh, like you said uh, with uh, steve uh, he, he watches people and he's like okay that guy is, suspe- is suspicious that guy is suspicious etc you, you, you take a whole list okay you let that competition slide or you do some tests you do less tests than usual because they are more expensive but you know you let the competition go uh, past and then what you do is you take back those names and you're like okay we'll do an out of me test on those specific individuals that look the more uh weird or the more inclined to drug test, to drug use mm-hmm. and so then the money that you aren't using for meat test days uh you actually use that money to do a little less tests but more deterring because you don't know when it's coming for you you know what i mean so it's i'm not saying to sacrifice the local level and be like oh not no testing at the local level i'm just saying if the money required to test as many athletes is bigger, then you just test less. You still have those test days, but you do out-of-meat tests, which will have a more deterring power because you never know, first, when it's coming, and second, for who it's coming. So it's it has really that value of, oh, if I, I don't want to be dumb and be caught, you know what I mean? Yeah, 
I understand what you're saying, but I, I would agree with you if we didn't already have that in place. Like we had so that. We have out of meat tests for local, local. We local? have we have we have out of meat testing for the top athletes. Yeah, you mean national or local level? For national level. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, uh, I think the problem at, at stake right now. Uh, you tell me if I'm wrong, but it's the tests are getting more expensive, and so you you guys will be able to run less tests at I mean, local level. Well, yeah, pretty much. It. No local. Yeah. No local meat yeah. will have drug tests. Yeah, but what if you have, like, it's not no local, but you have some tests, but that are, like, rendered differently. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I get that point, but then it turns into who do you do it to, right? Like, yeah. who exactly do you pick out? Do you pick out the guy who's trying to cheat the system or the guy who's having the great performances? And with the amount of cost, there's still so many lifters that you're going to get that balance of do we get the guy who looks like he's on steroids or the guy is performing is on steroids or the random drug testing pool? Like it's just when the system was good, that's the thing. The system was good over here. It was fine. No one had an issue with, you know, all of our national champions getting tested out of meat and in meat especially on an international scale, unless there's some things I don't know about. But they were all getting tested out of meat. And we just, like, guys who I don't even think international lifters give a shit about. Like, people in the local level, like regular Joe Schmo, who's lifting in a local meet, he was getting drug tested and was just happy because that's what he wants to do. International lifters are not like, well, I don't really value his drug test. It's like, well, you don't really value my total either. It's not that good. So that's like, it's it just for me, the big thing with me, the reason why I have so much issues with the IPF, it's forcing us to abide by these rules that we didn't need to fix in the first place. It was fine. It was fine the way it was. And we could have just ran business as usual. People still wanted to leave the IPF for a long time, but they stuck with it because they still valued international presence. But people still did want to leave the IPF for a long time within the USAPL. Uh, High-level high lifters, too. But the, the thing now where I think you're getting lifters like me upset is just telling us to fix something that didn't need fixing. Like, our, our drug testing system wasn't broken, and really, if you compare it to some other countries who don't test at all, like not even out of meat, there are countries within the IPF umbrella who don't even test out of meat, like our situation is better than most. Out of meat testing for international lifters, who that's for sure our best lifters, are the international ones who get out of meat tested. And some who who are like NAPF competitors, you can be at the Arnold, who still are in the drug testing pool. Like, those are lifters like me who still get, I don't get out of me tested, but those are lifters who exist. And also, you have the local meet to just keep the, your regular competitor happy. And didn't break the bank doing it. And also, still getting hundreds and hundreds of thousand dollars from USAPL. So, like, that's that, I think that's where the, the big issue lies with, with, uh, with Americans. Yeah, I get that, you know, I get that. And I think, obviously, um, I think the situation is way different in the U.S. than it is in any European country or 
even in every European country reunited, you know what I mean? So yeah, I think uh, the difference comes from there. Um, but yeah, if, if the new changes like prevent you from doing any local testing, then I understand why it's getting more difficult. But like I told you, I think, I think there are ways to work this out. Uh, but obviously, like you just said, people were already on the edge of, we want to leave the IPF. So I think that's also like a way to like put some oil on the fire, you know, yeah. be like, oh, there's more. And so maybe people aren't that, I, I won't say that people aren't that interested in sorting things out uh, and more in, into, you know, making it happen. You know what I mean? But I kind of get that sense in a way. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it just really comes down to just different values. And uh, again, a lot of people within the United States did think that they should leave the IPF. Um, but again, like the only only thing I always trace back to is there are things to work this out. Well, we knew what would need to be done to work it out. We had that. Because in 2018, they, there was still, they had to, they sent the USAPL a cease and desist for their drug testing policies, the IPF. And they worked it out then. Now it's elevated. Like, the way it's working out is just the way that... I, I would like to take a poll of international lifters who are okay with international competitors from the United States getting tested by WADA out of meat, which they are, and compare it to if they even care about what we do at the local level. Like, I think nobody, like, the, nobody. exactly, like, we barely care. Yeah. As, like, local meets happen so often that, like, there was, there's a meet happening two days from now in the United States. I don't know who the fuck's competing at it. I don't care who's competing at it. Yeah. I don't know any of the numbers after the results. I'm not going to care. I'm in the USAPL, and I don't give a yeah. shit. Yeah, yeah, don't know. I don't know yeah. if anyone in, in in another country would even give a shit about what we do at the local level. It's like, all right, uh, have fun, guys. Lift your bar, uh, eat your food, go out for drinks later. That's what happens. At, that's what that's what happens at local meets. You lift you lift some weights, you get a medal, you get drug tested, maybe, and then you go and have beers with your friends. It's like it's like a yeah, beer league for ha like so many of these. Uh, it, it's it's like a. It's like a beer league for a lot of lifters. I totally agree with you. Uh, but the thing is that, taking it from the IPF perspective, they want to rule pretty much everything because they're like the international federation. And but but where I agree with you is like it's pretty much like nobody cares uh, what happens at local meet, and it's 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 not. I, I don't mean that you know badly. It's just that. Like you said, when you you have like 20, 30, 40 meets happening a month, then obviously you don't care. You care maybe about one or two meets because you know that this that individual is competing there, but then you don't care. So I understand the, the idea that the USAPL wants to maintain the way it's handled because it's nobody's business besides the USAPL in this regard. But yeah, I also get the IPFs. Because the IPF is like, okay, but if we let the U.S. have its own rules, then how do we abide others about that? You know what I mean? Yeah. So what if France 
comes out of nowhere and it's like, oh, okay, so things are different at the local level in the US, so we will, we will do it differently at the local level, at the French level as well. And so people are like, okay, but you have to have a set of international rules. You know what I mean? So I think it's more in this regard that the IPF is trying to deal with that. But again, I understand that. It, I don't think anybody's right or wrong because we're not in uh, elementary, elementary school. But it's more like what's on the line, what's at stake, and how do you want to deal with that? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know what the, like a, a possible solution is if you decide not to you know, comply with the IPF is just join America. We're all, we're all, we're all welcoming here, man. Uh, yeah. Like, uh, that's, you said something funny. It's like the internet, like IPF wants to rule everything. I'm like, ironically, America hates that, which is funny yeah. because they have a tendency to try to rule everything. <laughs> so, so it's, it's interesting. Like that, but I mean, that's like, that is like a value of America. And actually, of France too is like any sort of international or like any sort of yeah. ruling everything is something like people hate. They just don't like it, um, especially if it's something that no one gives a shit about, which is a local level. But like, I, I mean, you, you're gonna listen to the podcast. Like, if yeah, I will. I will. Yeah, if there, if there was like an opportunity to invite international European lifters to our meets, you know, like. That would be that would be fantastic, and I'm curious to see if international lifters would even like that. Like the sacrifices they would have to make are greater, but um, it would be great to compete against. It would be great against to compete against uh, international lifters that is an IPF worlds, something in the middle there. You know, like that's because I I mean I know a lot of international lifters who I would love to compete against, and we're both not. IPF Worlds type lifters, um, uh, uh, and Hardyoisayin, um, Ina, like the the guy who actually holds the deadlift. We talk about competing all the time, and we know the only time we'll be able to compete together is IPF Worlds. Yeah, like that's like, that's it. And like he's young, yeah, he has a better chance than I do based on his age. Um, and the country he competes in, but you know, I'm like, I gotta gotta beat Noriega and Russ, like. It's gonna be. It's gonna be. It's gonna be a few years before <laughs> before I can possibly represent the United States in the world stage. But I'm curious if like international lifters and American lifters would like to find meets like in the middle there to actually compete against each other. Yeah, I, I think I think that'd be great. And um, you know, for that we have the Arnolds. Uh, I don't know. I think in the U.S. it's different, but. In, like in Europe, in, uh, with the Arnolds, it's basically the federation that chooses uh, who they send to represent them. So it, it could be like the first in the weight class, but it could also be like the, the second or the third in a weight class. And so at the Arnold, you have that international competition and you don't have to be the first um, in your country, but I think it's probably different in the U.S. as well. Yeah, well, United States, you have to qualify for it. Actually, it's an interesting thing. Like, uh, we have to do – so you qualify for it based on um, good lift points. Now it's good lift yeah. points. It used to be IPF score. But you would have to sign up, like, really, really quick in order to get on okay. certain meet days. Like, that was um, – it's first come, first serve. So if you hit the qualifying totals and you don't sign up on time. But there are invitees to it. So the Grand Prix is invite only. We have the Grand Prix, we got the Pro-American, and we got another one 
Um, it's like pro raw with more lifters. And then there's a regional one too. So there's four meets going on at the Arnold Sports Festival uh, in America. And yeah, the, the Grand Prix and the Pro American has invites slots, but also like most of the roster is filled with people who just really want to compete at it. Um, it used to be it used to be open for international competitors. I don't know. Yeah. I forgot what happened there. I actually someone could easily tell me what happened, but I forgot what happened there where they stopped getting internet. It might have had something to do with water drug testing or okay. something like that, or with the, the the relationship between the USAPL and IPF. So yeah, but you know, I, I agree with you. I think the system is kind of like closed where. It's hard to do like cool events yeah. where you know you see the US can open and you're like, that's awesome, man. You just see the best of the best competing with each other untested, and it's just incredible to witness. And so uh, I understand the, the lack of, of those events in the IPF or even here in the French national, uh, at the French level, where you have those really regional, regionalized meets where. I, I don't I won't I don't want to say it's boring, uh, but it, it kind of is. Where you could do something really cool, where it's more open, and then you have more competition, uh, depending on how you do it, and that would be better, I think. But yeah, we're really stuck in that like old-fashioned way of viewing things for yeah. competitions. I think. Yeah, man. Well, we've been talking for ninety minutes. Uh, we had a great conversation. This was a pleasure, man. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. Really, I, I really appreciate it as well. No problem. I would love to have you on again sometime. Um, good luck with everything. Good luck with your training. I always like seeing your progress. I always like seeing uh, un- your unofficial team's progress as well. Uh, thanks a lot, man. Uh, I'll keep I'll keep writing. I'll keep writing. Yes, thank you very much. Um, yeah, so that's going to do it for uh, this episode of Two White Lights. Thank you again for Bana for coming on the show. We'll see you guys Monday. Peace.